great singing, great to worship with you. I invite you to open your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61, and just before I preach, I'm going to read through this text of Scripture. I'm going to read all of Isaiah chapter 61, though our sermon text will focus on verses 4 through 11. Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. They shall be built up in the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. But you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and their glory shall, in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of your dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for revealing yourself to us through the living word and through the written word. And I pray now that you, by your spirit, would enable me to teach your word and proclaim the truth of your word with clarity and with your power, and I pray that you would give all of us ears to hear and hearts and minds to believe, understand and believe the truth. 
And so, Father, work in us so that we can change and grow, that our love for you would grow, our love for one another would grow. Help us, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, what has been your outlook on life over the past year and a half, maybe two years? Now, when I ask that question, I I know that it's a tough question because we have faced some pretty turbulent times over the last last year and a half, two years. Uh, COVID-19 and the government's response to it have been challenging. It's easy to be pessimistic. It's easy to be negative. It's easy to lose hope. Uh, Parents and students and uh, teachers have had to make a a lot of, of, of adjustments and navigate through some uncharted waters. Uh, Churches have had to change how they gather together at times. Uh, Businesses have faced many difficult, uh, different kinds of challenges with employees and supplies, etc., etc. Missions trips have been canceled. People have experienced sickness, uh, young and old alike. Many people across the globe have died because of COVID. It's real. It's, it's personal, even for us here at Grace Hill Church. COVID has touched everyone's life in some way. Everyone. And it's not just COVID that we've been facing. Our culture here in the United States is becoming increasingly secular and hostile towards Jesus and followers of Jesus. Increased persecution is right around the corner for those who are followers of Jesus, right here in the United States. I just found out this week that in West Lafayette, Indiana, a city ordinance has been proposed that would ban any biblical counselors from speaking truth in love into the lives of minors who are wrestling with sexual orientation or experiencing gender confusion. This is true even for people who want help. Um, they, They would be banned from getting help even with parents' consent. West Lafayette, Lafayette area is home to one of the churches that has been most influential in the area of biblical counseling over the last 30 or 40 years, Faith Church there in Lafayette. So this is a real spiritual battle. And I think there's more of those battles to come. These types of things are in fact challenging. So the question is, how does this type of brokenness impact your outlook on life? Are are you pessimistic? Are you negative? Are you overly critical? Have you lost hope? Is it really realistic to think positively or optimistically about life in this broken world? Is it really possible to be filled with hope in the midst of so much brokenness? 
Are you able and are you willing to engage with this dark and dying world in meaningful ways for the sake of Christ? Well, to find answers for those questions, we turn to Isaiah 61 this morning. Uh, Last week we learned that what was promised in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, Jesus fulfilled. Uh, He told us so in Matthew 4, verse 21. Jesus is um, anointed by the Lord. He is set apart by the Lord and empowered for God, for God's service. Empowered by God for His service. And that would include Him proclaiming good news to the poor. We we need some good news today, don't we? That, That would include Jesus binding up the brokenhearted. There's there is no one better than binding up and healing a broken heart than Jesus. That would include Jesus giving liberty, proclaiming liberty to the captives. So the the power of sin can be overcome by Jesus proclaiming the year of God's favor and the day of vengeance and comforting those who mourn. So in, in short, when you consider that, all of the ills of sin will be overcome by the Lord's anointed. Uh, Jesus said in, Psalm, um, in, in John 16, verse 33, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. But take heart, I have overcome the world. That that is a bold claim, a staggering claim, and it's true. You, You can rightly consider Jesus the Lord's anointed conqueror. Uh, and, and because of who he is and what he came to earth to do, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 4 through 9, tell us that the Lord's anointed conqueror blesses you with a number of very significant things. First, Jesus, the Lord's, the Lord's anointed conqueror, blesses his children with restoration. Verse 4 again says, They shall bind up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. The they of verse 4 refers back to verse 3 and speaks of those who are a planting of the Lord and those who are grown by the Lord. They're called oaks of righteousness. These oaks of righteousness are strong and stable and have weathered Uh, storms, many storms in life because of the Lord. This enduring righteousness is the work of the Lord. It's these people who will be part of rebuilding ancient ruins and ancient cities, ruined cities. These devastations of many generations. Devastations of many generations will be rebuilt by those The Lord has made righteous. So remember the context of Isaiah. The people of Judah and the city of Jerusalem were decimated by their sin. They were sent to exile in Babylon, but God 
restored them to Jerusalem after 70 years. And this picture of Judah returning to Jerusalem and rebuilding the city, the the walls, the temple, uh, against all odds is an example of God's desire and ability to restore and rebuild lives through the anointed conqueror, Jesus. When, When Judah was most helpless and the most hopeless, when they were weak, discouraged, when they saw no future, God used a pagan king of all people, King Cyrus, to send Judah back to Jerusalem to restore the city. But God is the one that did this work, and he did it through his servant, Cyrus. It was still a battle. There was a great battle when they went back. They faced ridicule, but they prevailed through God's help. Today, sin is still destroying lives. We've all experienced that. We see it in the world all around us, but there is help. There is hope because God's anointed conqueror is at work. So the, the overall message of Isaiah is trust the God who saves. And that's an appeal that comes to us again today from this text. But we could say that trust the God who restores. Jesus came to rebuild what was broken by sin. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord. So listen to this. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge Him and He will make straight your paths. This truth is for me personally. (laughs) In In my fight against sin, I'm helpless if I fight against sin in my own strength or with my own man-made solutions. But when my hope is in Jesus and I trust Him and obey Him, when I rely upon His power to be at work in me, then I'm I'm enabled to put sin to death and live the life that God's called me to live. In in Christ, I'm forgiven. In Christ, the power of sin has been broken. But by the Holy Spirit, I am being transformed. By the Holy Spirit, I'm also being kept for glory. And if you remember the end of verse 3, oaks of righteousness were planted by the Lord for His glory. (laughs) This is the truth that gives me hope personally that as I live in this broken, sin-cursed world, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, um, and self-control are able to be produced in me by the Spirit. And they will stand out in the world and They are intended to reflect the character of Jesus in ways that will be for God's glory. We as individuals benefit from God's work of restoration, and God's glorified in that. But another thing that the Lord's anointed conqueror does is equip you 
equip you for priesthood. Yes, if you are a believer, you are a priest. Now, don't let that scare you. Uh, It simply means that you are called and equipped to serve others for the sake of Christ. Verse 5 and 6 say, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks. Foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers. So that verse seems a, a bit odd, but if you remember the context of Isaiah, Judah had been in Babylon as exiles, and they were captives to the Babylonians. And it really seemed hopeless for God's people, but with the advent of the Lord's anointed conqueror, things would change for God's people. With the advent of the Lord's anointed conqueror, um, they would be restored to a right relationship with God, with the true and living God, and would be in a position of favor before God in the world. Rather than being captives in the world, the world's resources would be used to bless God's people. And more importantly now, verse 6 tells us, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord, that they shall speak of you as ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of nations and their glory, and in their glory you shall boast. So finally, what God has planned for the nation of Israel would be fulfilled through the Lord's anointed conqueror. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 5 and 6, we read this, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So that was God's plan for Israel. And that plan was ultimately fulfilled in Jesus. And if you have life in Jesus, its fulfillment is in you too. Listen as I read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, and then verse 9. Um, that text says to all believers today, and I quote, As you come to him, that is to Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, here's what that means. If you are a Christian this morning, God has placed his favor upon you. Individually, it's true. Individually, it's true for us as a church. So we're referred to as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. So it's amazing, but God has made you weighty in his sight. And you, plural, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a place where God dwells by His Spirit. 
And in that, you have, think about this, you have access to God's majestic throne of grace through Jesus Christ. And in that position, you offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You, you don't offer bulls and goats. You don't offer bloody animal sacrifices like the priests did in the Old Covenant. Instead, you offer your lives as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, as Romans 12, 1 and 2 says. This means that you don't conform to the world. You don't live in rebellion against God. Instead, you are transformed by knowing and living God's will for your life. And then, verse 9 says that in this position, you proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. So, in that, you, you have a ministry of witness. Or, or put another way, you, you serve people for the sake of Christ. Because you have been rescued from darkness and brought into the marvelous light in Christ, you have the responsibility and the privilege to serve others in such a way that they too can learn to live in that light of Jesus. In the Lord's anointed conqueror, you, you are restored, you are called to serve as a priest. It's an amazing truth. This actually gives me great hope as a pastor when I sit down with you in the midst of life's difficulty. Uh, we all face difficulties. That, that's not uncommon. But there, there's hope that we have when we sit down together. We know sin destroys, but we also know and we believe that Jesus restores. I, I personally know without a shadow of doubt that Jesus has answers for the problems that you face. And when we sit down, or when we sit down with one another, any of us, and when we look to Jesus, when we open up the Bible, and we depend upon the Holy Spirit to work in us, God is able to restore lives that had been broken by sin. We, we are richly blessed. We are richly blessed. And because of that, we should not be surprised to find in verse 7 that we are blessed with everlasting joy. Verse 7 says, Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. So, God's favor is lavish. Um, God doesn't just give us enough. He, he gives us a double portion of favor. This is why we can be content in the Lord. The Lord can be the source of our contentment no matter what circumstances we are in in life. In fact, this verse teaches us that we have an everlasting joy. What, what Jesus gives us, the world cannot take away. 
What Jesus gives us is permanent. It's lasting. The, the favor of the Lord is not temporal. Here today and going tomorrow. What Jesus gives us endures forever. It's an everlasting joy. Um, my aunt's funeral was this past week. Uh, Aunt Miriam uh, died at the age of 88. We had a chance to watch the funeral service uh, via live stream. We're blessed to do that. Um, Aunt Miriam and Uncle Olin had 12 children, and all of them are still living except for one. Uh, Geneva was killed at the age of four in a terrible road accident. Um, and I was living just down the road from them when this happened. I remembered, I remember when it happened, but they had a barn on one side of the road and their house was on the other side of the road. And there were several, several adults, there were some older children, and then Geneva was tagging along. And it was on a Saturday, and uh, the Grantsville Stockyard was in operation that day, and there was lots of trucks going by. It was a busy day, and they were on the barn side of the road, and they wanted to get over to the house, and they waited for a break in the traffic, and they sprinted across the road, and about halfway across, Geneva, as a four-year-old, thought she wasn't going to make it, and she turned around and went back, and when she turned around and went back, she got run over by a car. Um, so many of the family members were right there and watched that take place. Um, so a car uh, driving 50-plus miles per hour um, ended her life. Well, at the funeral, um, a poem was read that Aunt Miriam wrote um, after Geneva died. And I didn't know she wrote a poem. I'd never heard the poem, and I didn't know... It existed until it was read at the funeral, but um, it, it was really an encouragement to me to hear it. I, I always remember Aunt Miriam as a gentle, um, she had a, a gentle, gracious spirit that was really filled with the joy of the Lord. She always had a warm smile. Um, her her ever-present warm smile really radiated from a heart that that had Jesus as her greatest joy. And as, she, as this poem was read that Aunt Miriam wrote, she expressed a quiet and steadfast joy that came from trusting the Lord even in the tragedy of losing a four-year-old daughter in such a horrific way. Um, and what struck me about that is that only Jesus can give a never-ending joy in the midst of life's darkest tragedies. It doesn't mean that Aunt Miriam didn't weep. It doesn't mean that there wasn't sorrow in her heart. But it means that the Lord is able to meet her there and to give her a deep and abiding joy. Psalm 16.11 says this, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy 
At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What a, what a wonderful truth. Now, as we turn to verses 8 and 9, we learn that this everlasting joy is really built upon an everlasting covenant. Uh, verse 8 begins and says, For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrong. So I think this is why God in His infinite wisdom provided a way for His justice to be satisfied and for wrongdoing to be put to death, to come to an end. And here's how He did it. When Jesus died... God's just wrath poured out on Jesus for our sins satisfied the justice of God. And now, God is able to forgive us or justify sinners without violating His justice. It, it's really amazing that God the Father sent His unique, one-of-a-kind Son to suffer and die on the cross for us as sinners. Jesus was sent by the Father to the cross. Isaiah 53 says God crushed Him and put Him to death on our behalf for sinners. There's, there's no greater demonstration of mercy, God's mercy, God's love for sinners. Verse 8 continues, I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. So sin had brought death, but now through the everlasting covenant, through this new covenant, our sin would be forgiven, and we will be given the gift of eternal life in its place. Through the new covenant established with the shed blood of Jesus, God promised an eternal redemption. Listen to Hebrews 9.12. He entered once for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but His own blood securing an eternal redemption. So the new covenant was also promised in Jeremiah 31, Ezekiel 36, and it was fulfilled by Jesus. Every time we share the Lord's table together like we did last week, we drink the cup that represents the new covenant established by the blood of Jesus. Without, without the new covenant, we'd have none of the blessings that we now enjoy in Christ. We, we are a blessed people. If you have life in Jesus, you are richly blessed. Do, do you know that? Do, do you know how blessed you really are? Verse 9 ends by teaching the whole world will know it is the Lord who has blessed you. Verse 9 says, Their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants to the midst of the people. All who see them acknowledge them that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. So yes, we live in a world that is filled with a lot of brokenness. We face trials of many kinds. We walk through sufferings that can be extremely difficult. God's children are not immune to problems. 
the brokenness of sin presses on us every day. We sang about it earlier. It's a wonderful truth that we are not alone. We, we are not without hope. The Lord's anointed conqueror has restored us to God, <laughs> opened up access for us to God, enabled us even to serve others for the sake of Christ. And He's given us an everlasting joy. And all of this is grounded upon an everlasting covenant established with the shed blood of Jesus for us. We, we are richly blessed. God's great blessing gives us optimism and hope for today, even in a broken world. And as we think about all of this, it's fitting to respond with a song of thanksgiving. Verse 10 and 11 say, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exalt in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God would call, will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all the nations. Now there's some debate about who's speaking here in verse 10 and 11. Is, is this the Lord's anointed conqueror? Is it Isaiah? Is it God's people? If it's the Lord's anointed, I would argue that this song of thanksgiving is what He would produce in us when we are given life in Him. But I, I think that this is a song of thanksgiving sung by God's people who are oaks of righteousness planted and grown by the Lord for His glory. Notice, I think, the similarity between verse 11 and verse 3. It's the Lord who causes praise to sprout up before all the nations. But more importantly, don't miss the content of this song of thanksgiving. So why is there such great rejoicing in the Lord? Why does our soul exalt in our God? There are three reasons or descriptions that are given. One, He's clothed us with the garments of salvation. So we've put off these filthy garments that are stained and tattered with our sin, and He's given us garments of salvation. Our, our sin has been covered and atoned by the shed blood of Jesus. Do, do you remember what Adam and Eve used as a covering when they first sinned in the Garden of Eden? The, Genesis tells us they sewed fig leaves together. Um, but their solution was inadequate, and it was the Lord who provided garments of skin. And those garments of skin really are a hint at an animal sacrifice, the shedding of blood. And then in the Old Covenant, animals were sacrificed to demonstrate that Blood needed to be shed if sins were to be forgiven, but we come to Hebrews and we learn clearly that the blood of animals could not take away sin, but it's the blood of Jesus that can truly atone for our sin. Hebrews 9.14 says, How much more will the blood of, of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That, that is 
Reason to rejoice. That is reason to exult in our God. Number two, he covered us with a robe of righteousness. Again, we see here a really a, a beautiful picture. Our, our lives are stained and tattered by sin, and our sin was atoned for and forgiven. But more than that, we are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We, we are not just forgiven, we are counted righteous in Christ before God by faith. When God sees us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus that has been uh, counted to us. That, that's reason to rejoice. That is reason to exult in God. Third, the garments of salvation and the robe of righteousness make us beautiful. <laughs> make us beautiful. As verse 10 says, as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. We, we all know what a bride goes through to pick out just the right dress and, and to fix her hair in just the right way and to do all of her makeup in just the right way to pick out the right necklace and the right earrings and, of course, you have to have the right shoes. All, all to make herself more beautiful than ever for her bridegroom on their wedding day. Often there's no expense spared to enhance the beauty of a bride. Um, this morning at 3.42 I started getting texts from Romania because Rebecca got married uh, today. They do their weddings, not this Rebecca, another Rebecca, uh, they do their weddings in the middle of the church service. So a couple walks in when everybody's ready for the worship service. They sit up front. The preacher preaches to everyone. Um, they exchange vows. They go out. And uh, then there's a party the rest of the day. They have a big celebration. And so um, when, when we've been in Romania up in the Demuk Valley, we stayed in the home of Lucci. And Lucci's daughter, Rebecca, got married today, and she sent us pictures starting at 3.42 in the morning. Um, that could be one of the reasons why I woke up so early this morning, I'm not sure. But uh, there's a sense of excitement, and Shelly looked at the dress, and she said, I, I knew that Rebecca would have an exquisite dress, and she did. You know, there's no ex uh, expense spared to make yourself as beautiful as you can for the, the groom on that day. Now, in a far greater way, the garments of our salvation and the robe of righteousness are given to make us beautiful before God. When God sees us, He sees no sin because it's been washed away by the blood of His Son. And he sees only the righteousness of Jesus given to us as a beautiful robe. We have every reason to rejoice. Every reason to exalt in our God. To sing songs filled with thanksgiving to Him. Has that been your outlook over these past couple of years. Now, we, we have to be honest, 
about the struggle. The struggle is real. Um, it's more than what we can handle alone. But we are not alone. We've been restored to God through Jesus Christ. In Him and through Him, by the Holy Spirit at work in our lives, we can approach God and find mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. His power is made perfect in our weakness. He sustains us with a word. He restores us and keeps us. He gives us a purpose and fills us with joy. And singing songs of thanksgiving is a great way to remember all of who He is and all of what He has done for us. So let's do that as we close this morning. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. Thank you for always being ready to serve us. And we invite you to stand. Let's sing this final song of thanksgiving to God together.